This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. Together, listeners, I am so excited to welcome Nisha Bora to the podcast today. And honestly, like if you've been hoping to add more plant-based meals to your weekly lineup so that you can benefit the planet, you're not alone. I am also one of these people. So we have some good news for you. Um, this week, Nisha Bora is our exciting guest. She is a lawyer turned plant-based chef and cookbook author behind the blog Rainbow Plant Life. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit how um, you know about how we can make small swaps in your diet, um, how we can cook up plant-based dishes, and we're just going to get into it. So welcome, Nisha. Thanks so much for having me. It's really exciting to talk to you about all things plant-based cooking. Yes. And so I'm sure you get this question all the time, but of course, it's the one that probably fascinates me the most, which is like, how did you decide to make the, the transition um, from being a lawyer into a full-time plant-based chef and blogger, cookbook author? Like, how did you get into it? Well, um, I practiced two very different kinds of law and I was really unhappy in both of them. And I just was tired of waking up anxious, dreading to go to work, coming home super stressed and just really unhappy. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to that. Like it's just a crappy way to spend your life. Um, yes. And the older you get, you're like, how much longer do I want to be spending most of the time in my life doing something that really makes me unhappy? And I was unhappy for a variety of reasons, including that like I had gone to law school, loved it, thought that I could use the law as this like tool to help people and like especially people who often are left out of the conversation or who don't really get the legal services they needed. And then um, practicing law was a very different reality check. Like I got to see how, I guess, slow moving and static and difficult to change the laws and how it's very easy to use to help wealthy corporate actors, but it's very difficult to use to help people who really need legal services because I worked in both corporate setting and in a nonprofit setting. So I got to see the disparities and that was very disillusioning. And then just like, it was very stressful. And I just felt like I wasn't able to really use my personality and my talents in a way that felt good. And, and, um, so I was just basically very unhappy yeah. and I, um, started my second law job, um, just getting back into cooking. I had always loved to cook. I taught myself how to cook when I was like 15 and spent all this time watching the Food Network every day after high school and college yeah. and like going to Barnes and Nobles and reading cookbooks while my friends were like going to parties and stuff like that. So, um, and I'd always loved cooking for people. So I just started doing that as a creative outlet hobby. Um, and this was back in 2016. So I was just like posting square crop photos of my food to Instagram and like, <laughs> yeah, started like we all to, were. <laughs> yeah, like we all were. And we yeah. didn't have to be like professional, like video creators now. That's right. Have to know. Um, <laughs> But it sort of started to take off. Um, there was like 
it kind of started around the time where veganism was becoming very popular. Um, and I sort of used that as a jumping point to kind of switch careers. And I didn't go full-time as a content creator um, at the time because I didn't even know what the word influencer was, to be honest. When I started, um, when someone told me I was an influencer, I was like, what is, do explain. <laughs> um, but I used it as a jumping off point to find a job at a vegan food startup in New York City. And I had gone vegan recently, so I was really excited about that. And I started doing all kinds of content creation and social media marketing and copywriting and just a bunch of different things for that startup while also kind of building the beginning stages of Rainbow Plant Life. And then I guess about three years ago, almost, I went full-time with Rainbow Plant Life. That was a lot. That's (laughs) awesome. No, it's fine. I mean, we all have like different ways that we get into, you know, what we're doing currently. And I was actually, you answered a little bit of a question that I have, but maybe we can uh, expand on it some, which is, yeah, were you always vegan? Like, tell me a little bit about like, you know, have you always been plant focused in your cooking or was there a journey that you went on to to do this? Um, No, I, unfortunately, I wish I could say that I had like had the foresight or knowledge to go vegan at like seven years old. Um, But I did grow up with parents who are vegetarian. My parents are from India. And so at home, we primarily ate vegetarian food, but my parents let me and my sister eat whatever we kind of wanted, like fast food and all the processed, you know, meats and cheeses and things like that, that were very popular in the nineties when I grew up. Um, and then up until my late twenties, I kind of had a fairly standard Western diet. I'd always loved vegetables and, um, like whole grains and legumes and things like that. So I did cook a fair amount of naturally plant-based food, but I was not plant-based by any means. I ate a fair amount of chicken and fish and lots of dairy. Um, and then again in 2016, when I started getting back into cooking a lot more, um, I started to just get curious, like, where's my food coming from? And so that set me on a, a journey and a path towards slowly going vegetarian and then eventually vegan after watching, you know, I don't know, 10 documentaries in the course of like three days. That That's an easy way to hit the switch in your mind and be like, okay, I'm vegan now. So that's, yeah, that was my journey. Interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you said at the beginning, you wish you had the foresight. I mean, look, we're, we're all kind of on this journey together. Most of, I mean, I myself, I'm not vegan. Uh, we try and eat plant-based as much as we can at my house, but we, we, we definitely are not uh, vegan. And I think it's, it's something that um, I'm really excited about when we think about like the plant-based eating movement is that I feel like it's just becoming more and more inclusive as well, right? Like people are trying to wade, wade um, into these different alternatives. You're starting to see more like options at picket restaurants or even fast food places. And so from my perspective, granted, <laughs> we don't all want to eat fast food, even if it's vegan. But I really like that um, it's becoming more accessible to people, whether we're thinking about price, access, or even just um, understanding how to get into plant-based eating and cooking. Um, and actually, you know, listeners, so, you know, obviously... Um, we can't have a one-on-one conversation with you right now as you're listening, but you know, if you're not fully plant-based in your eating habits, we kind of did a little bit of research to understand like, you know, why are people going uh, vegan? It sounds like, uh, Nisha, you know, you saw some documentaries or really like, uh, you know, turn on to the different facts around animal cruelty, greenhouse gas emissions, all sorts of things that kind of went into your personal decision. Um, and we also looked that uh, and found that uh, vegan and vegetarian diets are associated with a really significant amount of um, reduction in personal greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but the diets themselves 
if we're going to be realistic, can seem kind of daunting to a lot of people. And so, you know, I mean, like, that's why we have this podcast. That's why we're, Brightly is really encouraging people to at least take some small steps towards eating more plant uh, focused. So like when you talk to people, you know, uh, you know, and by the way, listeners, uh, you know, Rainbow Plant Life is is just such an amazing resource. You can find them on Instagram, across all the social media channels. But, um, you know, how do you get people who are brand new, like, what, what advice do you start giving them um, that are trying, you know, people that are trying to be more conscious about the impact of their eating habits? Sure. Well, I like that you mentioned that we're all on different journeys because I definitely know and totally respect that most people who come to me aren't going to become vegan um, full time, or if they are, it'll be a longer journey. Um, but really it's about those small wins. Like if you used to eat meat five times a week and now you only eat it two or three times a week, that's still a big win. That's a big win for your health. That's a big win for the planet. That's a big win for the animals. And so I'm glad you pointed that out because I don't expect people who come to my content or to really any content to like be able to make the flip or the switch overnight. That's probably just a minority of people who are going to make that transition very quickly. Um, but one thing I like to say is that if you're um, kind of on the fence, like maybe you already know that a plant-based diet is better for the environment or better for your health or any other number of reasons, but putting into action might be scary. And I think one of the reasons it's scary is for a lot of people, it's associated with giving up your favorite foods. It's associated with deprivation. It's associated with a diet. Um, and there's a million ways to go plant-based and be plant-based. But for me, um, it's never a diet. It's really just, this is how I eat. This is how I live my life. And I don't enjoy depriving myself. So I don't do it. So like, I just find different ways to make my favorite comfort foods. And I find different ways to recreate foods from my childhood. Um, and I think if you start to focus on what you can't have, it's, it's going to be very daunting and it's going to be very, um, it's not going to be very fun to like, okay, well, I can't have cheese. I can't have ice cream. I can't have this. Like I can't have my mom's like dumplings or my mom's, you know, whatever your mom makes. Um, and so I try to get people to focus on like all the wonderful things you can have, all the new foods you're going to be able to experiment with, all the different cuisines. Like there's so many global cuisines that are naturally very plant-friendly. Um, I don't think there's any cuisines that's like strictly vegan, maybe like a Buddhist cuisine, but there's so many cuisines that are like very plant friendly in a way that American cuisine, for instance, isn't. Um, and so there's just so many things you get to explore. And so I would try to focus on that um, and try to have fun when you're doing it. So like if you go about it saying like, okay, well, like I have to eat three vegan meals this week, like it doesn't sound exciting, but if you instead say like, oh, hey, like my friend um, really wants to try this out too, or my spouse is willing to try this out. Um, maybe we, we start a challenge and maybe twice a week we cook a plant-based meal together. Or if you cook all the time, maybe it's three times a week, kind of whatever works for your schedule and situation and you make it fun. So like maybe this week we really want to try Chinese. And so we try to make a vegan Chinese recipe that you find on Pinterest or on a food blog or through Instagram. And maybe next week it's vegan Mexican food, or maybe you organize it by you know, theme, like we really want to try more tofu recipes, or we really want to try more tacos. And you just make it kind of like a fun little game. Um, and you might find like, oh my God, these, this Chinese, you know, stir fry dish is like my absolute favorite thing. And then that becomes like one of your routine meals that you make over and over. And then within a few months, you have a repertoire of delicious vegan recipes that maybe some of you didn't like, but maybe you found a few that you really like, and you're going to just constantly, not constantly, but you're going to now going forward, just build them into your rotation. 
Absolutely. I mean, there, there's so many things you said that I'm obsessed with. One of them being the abundance mindset that you just talked about, which is rather than, yes, focusing on here's all the stuff I can't eat or like, you know, playing the little sad violin <laughs> for ourselves. Like, that's just not a good way to start a habit. Like, think about other habits that we try to adopt, whether it's exercise or, I mean, pick it. And, you know, they're so hard to to get get through through our brains and through the way we like to live. So if you're going to start off with a point of negativity, there's literally no way it's going to happen, right? Like, unless you are just, I mean, just so obsessed with the final, um, you know, output, it's just literally not going to happen. And so thinking about, yes, discovery, creativity, I love that. Um, and I also love the concept, like you just mentioned, like, getting some of these recipes into your repertoire. Like that should be the goal, I feel like for most people, instead of saying, you know what, you're going to go 100% plant focused, or even like you're going to try it. Because I think sometimes people are even like, well, I don't know what that means. Like, where do I even start? Like, do I have to go and, and chuck out all my cheese? Like, they're probably thinking about it from an ingredient perspective, right? M less th than a recipe perspective. And so I think I think you've totally hit the, the nail on the head, like get some of these recipes into your repertoire and then you're going to just basically start to kind of teach yourself and enable yourself to, to have more success. Um, we've done this in my family. Like we, um, there's a few meatless recipes that we love. We make this really good cauliflower curry with, um, coconut milk. We actually use the instant pot, which you and I are going to talk Yay. all about because like I am the biggest instant pot fan. They used to make so much fun of me at work when I used to work at Adobe. I was like the instant pot, pot woman. Um, so we, we, we'll talk a lot about that in a second, but I feel like just having some of those things on my back pocket when it comes time for me to have to scramble to make dinner, uh, is, is just so much easier. And I also feel like vegan recipes and, and more plant focused recipes um, if you're using like canned ingredients and, and some things that are easily accessible around the house, like they're quick. You don't have to go through the hassle of like defrosting meat or, you know, hunting down some kind of exotic, like, you know, it's just, you've, you've got it already on, on point. Right. So I'm sure you have like tips for people when they're, they want to stock, you know, a, a vegan, like, or at least a more plant focused pantry. Like what are some of those like ingredients that you, you recommend people picking up? Um, so yes, I would, I would emphasize that a lot of vegan cooking is very pantry friendly. So I think at the start of the pandemic, when people were freaking out, I was like, well, this isn't that hard because I already use so many things in my pantry. Um, so like beans and lentils obviously are a must for me anyways. And I think for most people who are plant-based, um, and I like to have just as much variety as I can. So, um, all different kinds of lentils because they work in different ways. And so, um, I like to have, for instance, red lentils for things like curries and dals and where I want a softer texture. And then I like to have like brown lentils or green lentils or French green lentils for things like maybe a soup or a salad where I want more of a texture. Um, I always, always have chickpeas on hand. I think you can do a million different things with chickpeas. Um, and if you have the time, cook them from scratch in your Instant Pot. If you don't, canned chickpeas are still a great option. You can turn them into literally anything like hummus, a smashed chickpea sandwich, a curry, a stew, like really so many options. Um, and then I think one of the things that I think, I think one of the things people struggle with when it comes to cooking plant-based recipes that are actually very tasty is um, just, there's a handful of ingredients. There's not like a set list, but there's a handful of ingredients you can use to really take your dishes over the top. And I like to kind of break it out into three buckets. So I think one is umami, the fifth, the fifth taste, the, you know, super savory taste 
that's almost rich that you associate with like meats and cheeses and broths. And unfortunately, I think it's lacking in a lot of plant-based recipes, um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist in plant-based foods. Um, especially if you're someone who is just experimenting, starting out with plant-based foods. If you're going to try a, say, vegan bolognese or a vegan taco meat, and it's missing the, the super savory, meaty quality, it's not going to deliver the experience that you want it to. So some of the ingredients I like to use to deliver that experience are dried mushrooms, um, soy sauce or tamari, which is gluten-free soy sauce, miso paste, nutritional yeast, olives, walnuts, um, sun-dried tomatoes. So a lot of ingredients that you might already have, maybe a couple you don't, but like there's a lot of plant-based sources of umami that I think people just aren't necessarily familiar with. Um, I think another thing is acidic ingredients, which hopefully you should have at home. These are things like lemons, limes, vinegars, um, which are naturally vegan. So it's not like you need to restock or anything. Um, but oftentimes when you're cooking food at home, it can feel a little flat. So maybe you've seasoned it already with enough salt and spices, but it just is missing something. And oftentimes that's just a splash of lemon juice or a splash of vinegar, um, or maybe some pickled onions, which you can make in like 10 minutes with red onions and vinegar and like a little bit of sugar. Um, the third thing I would say is some sort of like fatty, creamy element, again, is often missing in plant-based recipes. Um, and that's not to say that every recipe you make has to be like super decadent or rich. It's just more that fat is a carrier flavor. And so you want to like emphasize and bring out those flavors. And a lot of these are non-vegan products you might be thinking of, but there are lots of vegan alternatives. So like olive oil is just a great option when you're sauteing your aromatics to bring out the flavor. Avocados, like to add that creamy element, um, especially to like raw things like salads where you need something creamy. Um, tahini is an amazing ingredient. It's just sesame seed paste. It's often used in Middle Eastern food, but like it's really fabulous for all kinds of sauces and dressings. Um, so yeah, I, I try to always add some sort of like um, fat source to my recipes so that they they bring that nice mouthfeel, but also the flavor. Absolutely. And you're reminding me a lot of um, the book and then the TV show, um, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Yes, absolutely. Love that show because for me, I had never really thought to break things down like that. And now since I've watched that show and, you know, hearing your tips too, like there's been so many times I love to make a good soup. Um, I feel like a soup is a really good thing, an easy way to make a vegan meal as well. Um, And yeah, I'll, I'll like season it really well. I'll try it. And I'm just like, it's missing something. And since I've seen this and like learned about it, I'll put a little bit of red wine vinegar in there, just a tiny splash or even lemon. And then it's like, oh my gosh, like mind it's blown. A, yeah. It's like yeah. so much better. Right. And yeah, so absolutely. thinking about like the food chemistry, like the way you're describing it, thinking about like, you just said like fats are, you know, carries a flavor and, and trying to think about unlocking, um, I don't know, like creativity and excitement for people when they're doing plant focused eating is so important. And so I love that you you're able to break it down like that. So listeners, like I'm hoping you're you're getting a ton of information because I, I feel like I'm I'm learning a ton. Um and so the other thing that we we didn't really talk about yet um is thinking about um the impact of spices on flavors too. And so um, you know, I do think people have kind of a stereotype of plant-focused meals be lacking a lot of what you talked about, umami, fats, et cetera. And then sometimes people think, I think maybe they're like conflating that with like raw food or who knows, yeah. what, but it's, you know, like I like flavorless and it's like, well, if you're using a good set of spices, I feel like that can be a really powerhouse move. And so tell me a little bit about like, maybe what are some of your favorite spices um, that you recommend that people rely on? Maybe it's like a mix or just a few different things. 
Um, this question is a little challenging only because I love spices so much. So it's like hard to be like, these are my top three spices. (laughs) And oftentimes like the magic of spices comes through when you combine them with other spices or when you combine them with aromatics. So like a lot of my recipes first start with sauteing your aromatics. Sometimes it's just as simple as onion and garlic. If it's an Indian recipe, there might be ginger and like some uh, serrano peppers or green chili peppers. Um, if it's a Chinese or East Asian recipe, it might be scallions, ginger, and garlic. Um, and then when it comes to spices, um, I think it really depends on the cuisine that you're making. So like if I were to make Indian, an Indian recipe, like a weeknight friendly one, not with like a bunch of crazy spices, I would definitely want cumin, coriander, turmeric, um, maybe some garam masala. It's like a really potent blend of amazing spices that is going to give you so much flavor in just one spice blend. I love it. Um, And then I'm sure this is important for a lot of your listeners, but um, spices are grown in the same way that food is grown, right? We kind of think of them as just like this jar or this bottle on the shelf, but like they're actual farmers growing them. And so one of my favorite spice brands um, that grows spices extremely sustainably and um, with like the farmers in mind and make sure that they're paid a living wage and works with them directly is called burlap and barrel. We and love burlap most, and barrel. The most like phenomenal yes, flavor, yes. you know, like, and they go a long way. So like you also get more money for your, or more value for your money because like they're just more potent than traditional standard supermarket spices. So if anyone is a real space lover or interested in learning more about spices and really getting um, the most out of them, I would really recommend checking them out. Um, But yeah, I think that like um, layering aromatics and spices is such a powerful way to build so much flavor in your recipes. And luckily, all of those ingredients are already plant-based. So you don't need to like swap in something different or think about how to make it plant-based. Absolutely. We love Burlap and Barrel. We actually um, sell a variety of their products in our Brightly shop. So we're, we're obsessed. Um, I, it's the best gift too, folks. Like if you're like stumped on what to get somebody in their family, you can get them a pack of Burlap and Barrel spices and you, you're just set. So guys, they did not pay us to talk about it. We just no. love their spices that much. Like <laughs> I've been a fan it's amazing. For you, so. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. They also have like really interesting ones too. Like Absolutely. Ones that most you unique know. blends. Yeah. yeah not blends, beautiful. but most unique spices you've never heard of that that will also change your life. Absolutely. So yes, big fans of that over here. Um, So I, I talked a little bit about this earlier, but I am a huge Instant Pot woman. Like I love my Instant Pot. It's like my Swiss army knife in my kitchen. I use it all the time. And so I'm curious to know, like when you're giving people advice on cooking more plant focused with their Instant Pot, like I, I oftentimes I personally feel like um, I, I sometimes am like a little bit scared to have new recipes with my Instant Pot because sometimes people just like, I don't know, they like don't, they don't knock it out of the park. Like I end up with like a bunch of mush or like, I feel like I did something wrong. So like curious to know a little bit about like what inspired you to focus on the instant pot for your, um, your new cookbook. And, um, you know, this listeners it's called the vegan instant pot cookbook. I'm literally going to go get a copy myself after we're done with this because I'm, I, I love my instant pot, but tell me a little bit more about your, your obsession with my favorite, uh, appliance. <laughs> sure. Um, so, uh, just a little clarification. It's not actually new. It's three years old at this point. Oh, it is. Which okay. Is, yeah. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but back then when I first started writing it in 2018, um, that not that the instant pot was new back then, but like, um, there wasn't as much, um, plant-based instant pot content out there. And so I had just, 
started sharing some on my blog and my YouTube channel because I used it a lot in my cooking and my meal prep and I didn't see a lot out there. So I just wanted to share more. And then actually it was my publisher who approached me and was like, would you like to write a cookbook um, with vegan instant pot recipes? And I was like, I was still like a baby blogger at that point. I was working full time, like not as a blogger. And I was like, me, really? Um, yes, of course. Yes, I could do that. Um, you know, like jumping on the opportunity. Um, but it was, it was really like excellent because um, I do think the Instant Pot is so valuable for people who are pressed for time, which is a lot of people, obviously, um, because you can often set it and forget it, or you can prep a lot of things um, overhand, overnight. So for instance, like I often use the um, Instant Pot to soak my beans and then they just start cooking on their own after they're soaking. And it's so convenient for people who maybe don't want to use canned beans for whatever reason, but also don't want to like stand by the stove and like check if the beans have cooked through or if they're burning or whatever. Um, yes, exactly. And it's also great for like big batch stuff. So you can make like a big batch of a chili or a curry or a stew. And then for me, um, I like to freeze those in individual containers. So like if I know I have a couple busy weeks coming up or a busy month next month or whatever it might be, then I can just defrost it the night before in a single serving or even the morning of it shouldn't take that long if it's just a single serving. And then, um, you know, I have an easy nourishing dinner that doesn't take very much time. So, um, I think it's great for a variety of reasons. And um, yeah, if you want to check out my book, as you mentioned, it's the Vegan Instant Pot Cookbook. Awesome. Well, yes, huge fan of, um, you know, the the ap- applicability um, of the Instapot for daily life. And um, I also did the same thing. I, I um, recently had my first baby. She's eight months old now. Oh. So I guess it wasn't even that recent, but I did yeah. a ton of meal prep um, before yeah. she came because I was worried about being able to find the time or really honestly what ended up happening there was a time element to it. Sure. But I also just, I was so exhausted that I just didn't have the the will to cook. Like I was just like, I, I'm just so tired. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you don't have to have a baby to be exhausted. I'll tell you no. that. Like, there's plenty <laughs> of other time times for that. And so, yes, thinking about, um, you know, cause I do get a lot of questions when I, when I talk to people about instant pot usage, like they're like, that's too much food. Like I can't eat it, but yeah, using that freezer or even, um, I, I actually, when I was doing some meal prep, I also would take the ingredients themselves and freeze them um, so that um, I'd freeze them in, um, you know, big containers and then um, defrost them and then put them into the Instant Pot. Or you can, if you do it the right way, you can actually just tip it all in when it's frozen. It's kind of challenging, but then you just set it and off you go, right? So um, it was a really exciting thing to do. Um, and the, the other thing, um, you know, I was going to ask you a little bit about, so um, are there any... Like, actually, what's your go-to? This is part of an interesting uh, question. What is your go-to uh, recipe when you, like, it, everybody has that, that one up their sleeve, like, for a, a crazy weeknight? Like, what's the one that you find yourself making over and over again? Okay, I'm I'm probably not the one person who has it just because we're testing new recipes in the uh, kitchen every day. Okay. So I often just eat what we're testing. But yeah. if, for instance, we're not testing something that week or that day, um, one thing I love doing, and it takes like 20 minutes is I grab a can of chickpeas, as I mentioned, I use them all the time. And, um, I will just pan fry them in a little bit of olive oil and then add a spice blend. So it depends on what flavor profile I'm going for again. Um, but I let them get like a little browned and blistered in the pan for maybe, I don't know, seven, seven ish minutes around that time. And then I add some spices and salt and pepper, cook that for a couple more minutes, finish with like lemon or lime juice, depending on which flavor profile I want. And then in the meantime, I grab some broccoli 
And the nice thing about broccoli is that, well, one, it's really good for you, um, as you all know, but um, you can like char it to be so delicious in a cast iron pan in like, I don't know, five minutes. All you need is like high heat, a cast iron pan, some oil, add your broccoli, let it char for a couple minutes on one side, flip it, let it do the same thing for a couple minutes, add some salt, lemon, whatever. It really just takes five minutes. Um, and then I just make a quick sauce. So it might be like a vegan yogurt sauce with like garlic and lemon and salt and maybe a couple spices. And then I just like plate the broccoli and the chickpeas on top of that. And that's 20 minutes and it's great. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, I, um, I'm i definitely going to add that to my repertoire. That sounds amazing. Um, I also have a fun chickpea recipe. It's called, um, it's based on an Italian recipe called pasta e I don't know how they pronounce it. CC, it's Keche. There you go. You know yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Right. It's so and good. so it's so good, right? Um, listeners, it's re- it's mostly there's garlic, tomatoes, chickpeas, um, and then pasta, you know, vegan if you'd like. And I mean, it's just super simple. Um, and I'm telling you, when I've made that before, people are like, they don't miss, they don't miss the meat at all. They're like, this is yeah. amazing, right? And so you're it right. Is. If you're if you're using the right um, you know, the right spices, but then also the right cooking technique, like you're right, taking broccoli to the next level. I actually usually just bake it. So that's a good uh, tip to utilize the cast iron pan. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I love roasted broccoli too, but if you really are pressed for time, a cast iron pan, high heat, small oil, really all you need. There you go. Well, hey, I, I just learned a ton. Um, and so <laughs> I guess, you know, kind of wrapping up our conversation, I mean, you and I could probably talk about this forever, um, but I'm I'm curious to know, um, you know, we like to typically ask our guests the same question as we as we wrap up our conversations, which is like, from the vantage point that you're sitting at, right? Like a, you know, vegan, um, you know, influencer, I know everybody hates that word, but you know, <laughs> that that is what you are. Um, you know, what is exciting you the most um, about what you're witnessing going on in the ethical and sustainable lifestyle movement right now? Um, I think the thing that excites me a lot is just seeing how we're finally embracing different kinds of vegan food and different kind of traditional practices and recipes from different cultures Um, that's, you know, some cultures have been using for generations. I think when I went vegan six years ago, there was a very uniform image of what it means to be plant-based or vegan. And it was a wealthy white lady who drinks green juices, basically. Um, and I think with the rise of the creator economy, we get to see that being plant-based or vegan can look like so many different things. And I think that can inspire people who maybe have felt left out of the conversation or felt like this wasn't a movement for them. So you know, you can find creators who are making vegan Ghanaian food, you know, you can find creators making vegan Taiwanese food or vegan soul food or vegan Mexican food or, or people who are foraging for their own food. And like, people who just don't look like you would expect who are doing these really cool things in the vegan space, but also in the sustainable food space. Um, And so I think it's just exciting to see this definition and um, broaden and become more expansive. Absolutely. I, I agree a hundred percent with you. Um, yeah, we, I, I, you and I probably, uh, grew up in about the same age and like totally hear you when you think about the, the, the wealthy white lady drinking green juice and everybody's like, okay, well that's not me. So, um, I guess I'm going to go back to eating my hamburger, which is like not what we need. We need people to see people that look like them, um, that are cooking things that they are, you know, um, used to eating, but are done in a more plant focused way rather than like, yeah, making these kind of strange off on cloud, you know, just on another planet type recipes and like, you know, calling things like planet dust and stuff. It's just like, I, I don't know what that is. I'm not eating it. <laughs> not for me. No, not for me. Making it more real, more accessible. Um, so yeah, um, listeners, if you'd like to check out um, Nisha's, uh, you know, 
links and work. We're going to include all of those in the show notes or the caption below. Um, but if you'd like to um, go find her on social, um, she's at Rainbow Plant Life. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. Yes, this was such a fun discussion. And as you mentioned, I'm sure we could talk about this stuff for hours. There's just so much to cover. Um, Absolutely. Really glad to be here. We'll do it again sometime, I'm sure. <laughs> thanks okay. so much. All right. Thanks, Laura. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.